Welcome to the Talent Cast, the Lost episodes, or the Lost interviews. I haven't decided what to call them as I record this, so I guess I have decided what to call them. Anyway, I did four amazing interviews during my break, my hiatus, well, at least when my hiatus started, when I was planning on coming back to the Talent Cast very quickly, and I have not made decisions as to whether or not I'm coming back to the Talent Cast, but I had these amazing interviews with some amazing, wonderful, smart people that I knew. If I kept on my hard drive any longer, the guilt would just kill me, and I needed to get these things out to the world. So that's what we're doing. We're releasing the lost interviews in one foul swoop. Uh, I hope you enjoy them, but we have a few housekeeping notes, first of which is I have got to thank Chad and Cheese uh, of Chad and Cheese. That's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman, who not only are good friends of mine and who just turned 50 a day apart from each other. So that feels suspicious somehow. Anyway, neither here nor there. They, uh, they and the Evergreen Network have sponsored and kept my podcast going uh, for the last year plus, and I, I really do appreciate what, you know, them and what they've done and how they've really kind of put pushed the employer brand recruitment marketing space forward in the, t- in the podcast world. So thank you, Joel. Thank you, Chad. Thank you so much for having me as part of this network, and we'll see where the future takes us. I don't know where that's going to be. Two other notes. First, you know that book I wrote and then that other book I wrote? I'm making them free. Not not just, hey, it's on Amazon, I, I don't have any cost here, I'm, I'm lowering the cost really. I mean, literally, I put it all in a Google Doc, and if you go to employerbrandbook.com, it takes you to the Google Doc. The actual text and images of the books are right there. They're freely available for you to read, for you to copy and paste, for you to clip stuff from, for you to share, to give to your boss, to give to your coworkers, whatever you want, I'm putting it out in the world. My goal, as always, both of the podcast and the newsletters and the books and all that stuff is to raise the conversation of employer brand, to let people know how amazing employer brand can be. Rather than try and flog a book, I'm trying to say, here, take it, get some value out of it, share this with people who need to have their perspective changed on what employers employer brand can be. That's what it's all there for. I don't make a penny. How could I? It's a Google Doc. So please share. That again is employerbrandbook.com. Second thing, my efforts that used to go into the podcast now go into a weekly newsletter called Employer Brand Headlines. If you like the podcast, you're going to love the headlines. Why? You One, you don't have to hear my voice. Two, I write like I talk, so it's almost like you hear my voice. And three, you can read my little newsletter in much less time it takes than to listen to a podcast. So there you go. It's much faster. If you go to employerbrand.news, there it is. Go ahead and sign up. It's free. It drops every Monday. And, uh, you know, we have 1,500 subscribers, which I think makes us the biggest employer brand newsletter in the world, which is crazy. But there you go. Anyway. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Like I said, I don't know what the future holds, but I appreciate you being a part of it and listening and sharing and telling me what you thought. I really listened to every word. Um, I don't know where the future is. I don't know where we're heading, but I look forward to what we've got next. So without any further ado, thank you so much again. Here's the interview. Just so you know, for this interview, Andrew and I had some technical issues, mostly on the audio side, and I, (laughs) the audio cuts in and out in some funny spots. I apologize. I tried to fix it as best I can, and my questions kind of dropped out towards the end, so Andrew just kind of finishes it on his own. Um, So there you go. Just letting you know ahead of time that you're not drunk. Uh, Well, maybe you are. How would I know? But uh, yeah, we had some issues in this one. But just one more time, Andrew, thank you so much. Amazing interview. Here we go. All right. Thanks, everybody. I want you to welcome someone who I met, I guess, about three years ago now at a conference. 
um, you know, and Audra's fault for this, as, as all things in this, the, the talent cast is, it's all, always Audra's fault. Um, but this is Andrew Gadomsky, who is just one of those people who, he makes no sense, but at the same time, that makes him a genius. It's very possible. Uh, he is the chief cook and bottle washer of a company called Aspen Analytics. Um, Audra did tell me, and this is a story I'll pass along. I hope Audra doesn't mind. I'm sure she won't. Um, when she turned to you at some point during conferences, says, what exactly do you do all day? And you said, wearing a very sharp suit, I might add, um, no one really knows. And that's actually that's actually to my benefit. And I thought that was fantastic. So hopefully we'll uncrack, we'll open that up a little bit today. Um, talking about data, talking about analytics, talking about something a little more holistic than just tactics and stuff. So thank you, Andrew, for, for being a part of this. Oh, my pleasure. I, uh, th- th- thanks so much, James. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, I, I don't know if you're a, if you're a fan of, uh, the show Mad Men, mm-hmm. um, but uh, there's a great, there's a great line by the character who plays, uh, Roger Sterling. And Roger says, uh, you know, nobody knows what my, what I do. It adds to my mystique, yeah. you know? <laughs> so we'll, we'll get you a white wig and then you'll be right there. Perfect. You already got the suit. I've already got the suit. I just, I just need the hair. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, so you, I mean, why don't you give us like a quick 30 second spiel of, of how you got to here. I think it's, fascinating that you know you worked at some pretty big name companies you did some pretty high level stuff some pretty strategic stuff and you shifted away from that to think a little more holistically using data can, can you give us a little bit of insight on how you got from point a to point b well i went to school for for engineering and marketing and then logistics i mean so i was a you know and i ended up doing a bunch of work in, in the technology sectors uh, i didn't get into recruiting you know i wasn't you know, I, you know, I, I didn't have like a little glint in my eye, you know, as a six year old saying when I want to grow up, I want to be a recruiter or I want to no be a data scientist. Nobody does. Um, <laughs> you know, like like everybody else, you know, it's like, how did you get into recruiting? I'm like by accident, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, but it, I ended up uh, taking a couple of interviews with some executive search firms. And, and one of them said, you know. So, so look at this straight, you know, chemical engineering, you know, logistics, and you know how to sell stuff. And you used to work at a call center. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, they're like, how about we make you a recruiter? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that is, you know, so yeah. I, I, I drank that Kool-Aid. Right. And, you know, I ended up, you know, they gave me the phone book and said, call everybody in this directory and ask them if they want a job, basically. But I, but I was good at it. It was the nineties. I mean, it was the late nineties and you know, so much can be explained by the phrase, but it was the nineties. You know, it's, it's like, you know, and, and so you're, so you're dialing for dollars. And I was working as a, as a, you know, in an executive search firm working for a partner, which means you, which means that you basically eat street food for lunch because they pay you so little, yep. you know, but you know, and I was dialing for dollars doing supply chain executive search and it was cool. And after a couple of weeks, I come home and I say to my wife, <clears throat> this whole industry is broken. Mm-hmm. I mean, crazy broken. And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, no one uses any kind of technology. They all use paper. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. everything, everything is going to converge onto the internet. And, you know, Everything's going to go with, with all, you know, using technology, using data. No one is seeing this. And she's like, so what do you want to do? I said, I think I want to open a business that focuses on 
how do you use technology and tools to do recruiting better? And she's mm-hmm. like, okay, you've been recruiting for like three weeks. <laughs> you know, that's how obviously broken the industry was right. and to some extent still is. Right, right, exactly. So you can kind of see it. And so I said, well, why don't, why don't I stick around? I'll learn a bunch and then we'll see what happens. So I, yeah. I go with, so I go ahead and do that. And, you know, what was interesting is I ended up, you know, getting promoted, running a team, all the things. And then I ended up getting a job at one of my accounts. I ended up moving over to Honeywell. And the idea was to work there just long enough for me to understand how like a Fortune 100 operates from the inside. Oh. <laughs> That's right? educational. Oh, yeah. It was, it was, it was blitz speed, right? I mean, people say, oh, you, you know, you work 24 hours a day when you got 40 plants globally and a $5 billion business that you're running. And so... <laughs> You know, so we're doing that. And then we, you know, but then I, I opened up the business, you know, a couple of years after that. And, okay. and and I think it was, okay, throw up a shingle. And from then I was using, I was telling companies, send us your data and we'll take a look at the numbers and we'll tell you what we think. So that, you know, that's a long time ago. It's 15 years ago. Yeah. I, I think over that time and how I got to where I am now is you've just got to sharpen the saw. And so you got to keep on asking for more data and you keep on asking to connect to more systems. So, you know, start stopped just asking for applicant tracking data and started asking for CRM data and HRIS data and then finance ledger data and then operational data and starting to blend it together. And at the same time, yeah, but the idea being is that I said, you know, keep sharpening this all. Let me go back to school, really learn this stuff from an academic perspective and then you know, already have a level of subject matter expertise in HR, mm-hmm. you know, but now really become, you know, more of an expert academically on, on analytics. And so that has been a wild ride. I mean, it has been, you know, I, I feel, I feel very welcome uh, when I'm in the, you know, in dialogues with people who are in analytics, people who, you know, CHROs, I feel in a very good space with people and employment branding because they're very data oriented now, um, mm-hmm. you know. But it's it's a it's an interesting set of crosshairs that's gotten me to where I'm at, and uh, it's a lot of fun working with. We work with multinational big companies or government agencies for the U.S. federal government, and they have tremendously large problems. Mm-hmm. You know they, you know they. No one comes. No one comes to the business because they need reporting like they can use their ATS or their CRM or Google analytics for reporting. Yeah. It's, it's things like, how do we know our brand is becoming more familiar globally? Mm-hmm. Right. Or, yeah. you know, how do we, how do we strategically find people when we know we have to pay them less because we're the federal government? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And Oh, by the way, do that thousands of times over. Right. Yeah. Those are harder questions to answer, but the questions are usually available in the data, James. You just got to know how to ask the sharp question. Yeah. I mean, because if you go back five years ago, I mean, the conversations, you know, we were having in the agency and the in-house space was how do you fix this tiny little problem? Our conversion rate isn't very good. Or how do we know people going to our ATS are applying or they want to apply or they know how to apply? Let's find this. It was very tactical. It was what's 
you know, let's look at the entire journey and see where the problem is. And I love how you started, you know, your conversation by saying, just give me the data. And it's not about let me solve that particular problem. It's like, let's go find problems. Let's go figure out what the bigger issues are. And I think that is a, a shift in conversations that's happened across the industry that we are looking a little bit more holistically. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've, I've used this hashtag for about a decade now, but it's, it's talk data to me. Mm-hmm. And so where does, where does that come from? And it's like, look, you, you have a hunch that you, you may have a hunch what the problem is, mm-hmm. right? Or, or you have a conditional bias, right? You, you think you have a bad ATS because you want to run an ATS implementation, right? <laughs> but Yeah. Right. Except everybody has a bad ATS because every ATS is mostly bad. So right. yeah, what are you complaining about? But, anyway. you know, but, but, but there's things like, like, there's things like that where you say, instead of you trying to figure out what the problem is, why don't we try to find where the problems are in the data and see how often those are replicating and, and whether or not what you're interpreting is an outlier or what you're interpreting is actually patterned and can be influenced. Because yeah. in some cases, it may not be. It might just be, this is the way it is. Yeah. Or this is the way it is unless you spend another $3,500 a hire. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's worthy <laughs> of, of an idea. But so, yeah. Go ahead. No, finish up. And, and I think that, you know, by getting getting more data and then, you know, candidly, having very strong data integrity. You know, I mean, recruiters are not in the yes business as much as they talk as much as, you know, as much as I and and, and others talk about the linkage between recruiting and hiring. From an activity perspective, recruiters do hiring very little. Yeah. I mean, the I mean, almost there is there's hardly any recruiter that has hiring authority. What Certainly. they have is rejection authority. <laughs> I like that. That's a good way to put that. Right? They have the authority on behalf of their company, their employer, their staffing company, whatever, to say no, you don't get to work here. But yeah. they don't have any authority usually, some cases they do, but most most recruiters never have the authority to say yes, come and work here. Here's an offer letter. They have to get approval for that, right? And my wife is on the career counseling side and she says one of the things she has to teach her students is that recruiters don't have, you know, they're, you know, don't try and get on the recruiter's good side because their job is to say yes. Their job is to figure out how to get rid of you. And so if you can show how you're solving a problem and they can't get rid of you, that's a win. So don't think about it as how do I get them to hire me? You can think about how do you get them to be an advocate for you? But ultimately the real job is just past the recruiter. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, talent acquisition leaders, you know, really are in a spot to understand that my my job is to make sure my recruiters have all the resources that they need to see the talent that they need to set, see, say no to them as fast as possible, as nice as possible and with the most equity as possible. Yeah. So other people can make decisions on who's going to get the job. Because so that's just how it okay. is. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And that, and, and the recruiter is a facilitator. The ref- recruiter is the the happy, smiling face on the front of all this stuff to either say, 
um, here's the offer and this is why it's a great offer or, hey, you know what, it didn't quite work out, but the person who really said no to you isn't, you know, we're protecting them from you. Right, right. I mean, and, and you know, and, and it is, you know, the air traffic control, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of that function. And I, and, I, and I appreciate the pride that recruiters have, you know, in, um, in their work and enabling people to find jobs. And, and, and that's at the end. But, you know, you think about like all the work that's been done about the candidate experience. Right. And, that, and there's a you know, you know, it's an excellent movement. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a huge proponent of it. But part of the problem with the experience is the fact that it's a rejection experience. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, OK, well, why isn't it good? Because they don't do it real well. <laughs> like and, like, by the way, that's the job. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not and, and, saying yes, it's saying yeah. no. And oh, by the way, not impacting the stock price, not mm-hmm. impacting diversity and inclusion in a negative way, you know, yeah. not impacting sales, not impacting our glass door rating. Yeah, you have to do all those things. Yeah, well, that reframes the whole job. The job is now not about how do you find the best talent, but how do you make sure that even when all the chips are against you, all these Let's, let's be fair, hundreds and thousands of people you have to say no to, you want to make sure that they'd come back. You want to make sure, if you, if you think of the job as how do you ensure, even in a negative outcome, that they still had positive brand sentiment, that's the job. It's a whole different job suddenly. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, you know, companies are coming to us and asking the questions, you know, how, you know now, now that the SEC in the United States has basically said, you need to include human capital analytics and metrics inside your annual report. All of a sudden, companies are really paying attention. Yeah, yeah. Right? What do we do in HR to make us a better company? And let me tell you something. I know you've got a tremendous following, James. So listen, yeah. listen up, employment branding leaders. If you <laughs> think you don't make an impact, get ready. You mm-hmm. talking about how you outreach how you attract people, how you take care of them, and how that drives brand familiarity, guess what? That's really big for anybody who's on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ who has to be regulated. Because guess what? Now, in your annual report and to the investment community who say you're a a good hold or you're a good buy, they're Mm -hmm. looking at that data saying, yeah, they're making a lot of good efforts in human capital, and we believe that you should buy this stock. Yeah, that's where the long feed bill, the feedback loop uh, starts. It's you're not making the tree, you're not making the leaves, you're not making turning sun into photos, you know, into, into food, but you are watering the roots. And while it may take quarters and years before your good hiring work turns into a business outcome, where else is it coming from? Right. They're now looking at, and I love that analogy. Are you doing the care and feeding? Do, do you have a nursery? Yeah. Or are you doing the care and feeding? How are you doing that? And oh, by the mm-hmm. way, what are, what's the fruit that you're creating? Yeah, because recruiting is shifting broadly from a hunter-gatherer system of I, I find it when I find it, or I'll go grab it by the hair and drag it back to my cave, moving towards a farming system where you're saying, look, we have to develop leads, we have to nurture them, we have to make sure internal mobility, we have referrals, we have all these tools, but it is a much more farmer model, at which point the person who plants the fertilizer in the water 
is doing the bulk of the work. The person who comes by and reaps all the crops and turns it into food, they may, you know, be seen as the the profit center. But without you feeding the the the, the you know feeding the plants, what what crops are there? Well, and and you know, I mean, employment branding is in, you know, employment branding and sourcing for whatever reason, people tend to think they're in the like in the same function. I mean, I appreciate they're all in HR, they're all in recruiting, but the the point of employment brand. In my in my in my humble, honest little data opinion, okay, is employment brand should be executed in such a way that the most commonly turned over jobs, the most critical jobs in sales operations and intellectual property, right, naturally produce candidates because of the employment brand. So if you make pharmaceuticals, scientists should want to come work for you. Because of the pharmaceuticals you're making. Right. Because of the pharmaceuticals you were making and you have you said, hey, we're a really great place to work and we build science here. So and we need scientists. So scientists come over here like yeah. employment branding should kind of check the box on like <clears throat> the major jobs. And I use mm-hmm. like the American Airlines like scenario. Forget the fact that there's a shortage of talent in certain areas like like actual pilots. But, you know, pilots, flight attendants, crew, mechanics for airplanes, you know, those types of jobs, they should know that American Airlines is a place that they should work. Yeah. It, like, it shouldn't be that. It's not that, it's not that big of a leap, right? <laughs> you know, but but you look at... But like as an example, though, it's like, okay, so Amazon has to do a much more of an they have to do a better job as an employment brand to they own their own fleet. So how does Amazon have an employment brand around aerospace? Yeah. Right. How are they getting pilots? Because that's important to that part of their brand. Mm -hmm. So that's that's an issue. Now, in some cases, Amazon may say, no, 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 we're not in the airline business. We're really in the technology business. And so yeah. then what you would do is say, okay, we're not going to have an employment brand that's going to get us airline pilots. Instead, we're going to have a sourcing function get, that gets that and then educates people on that. Yeah. And, and then so they say, by the way, did you know that we own a fleet? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, we're a great place to work. Right? Interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, employer brand is, is a function of your of a candidate's options. So if I'm a pilot, to take your ear story, if I'm a pilot, I know Delta and American and Southwest. I know, you know, I know the, the, the local fleet I can hire at, but I don't know beyond that. And I don't know about Amazon. I don't think about that stuff. If I'm a machine learning professional, if I'm an AI learning, AI is to, or Amazon's top of my list or one of many that's at the top of my list. And so right. it's a function of where you could otherwise go. It's a function of your employment options. So if Amazon's going into the pilot game, yeah, they're fighting against Delta who have bajillions of years of experience talking to with and around pilots about the, the the glory and the the drama of flight or whatever it is and 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 that's just not something Amazon can approach with right and and, and I think and then you have to say so is Amazon gonna have a huge global employment brand that focuses on pilots you know what yeah probably, probably not. not will they have campaigns potentially right that's fair right oh, that's interesting. 
Right. So you're really breaking it down like a, a hierarchy of hiring needs. And so you're, you're attaching, okay, for some roles for warehouse employees of whom they're going to hire 100 to 120,000 this year, um, there's a certain kind of brand and how much are you investing in it? Not just because those roles are not necessarily high paid, but even though with the volume, they're relatively commoditized. You can hire them from lots and lots of different places. And so a sourcing function might be plenty. But for a person is going to invent the next you know, a robot butler, you know, I can't say the name because she's right behind me in the, in the dining room. Um, you know, for the person who's going to invent the next one, well, you know, that's a different story. And they have to know that the work that they do at Amazon is going to be more highly valued than it is at a Google or any other company. So that, that is a, a completely different conversation. Right. And, 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 you know, I mean, I think, you know, there are, when you're in employment branding and you know that these are the, we have these volumes of jobs, and I think sometimes what people forget is they tend to look at how many jobs we hire. I always force, you know, if I don't have to force, I just tell them what it is because I get their data and then I tell them. And I say, you need to start looking at how many applicants you have and how much reach you have in a particular space based on the volume of jobs that you have. Yeah. So you may only hire 2,000 engineers a year, but you get 400,000 applications. Mm -hmm. Okay. That dwarfs everything. Don't just say no to them. Say no nicely. So when someone says, hey, do you ever take a, you ever take an interview over there at blah, blah, blah? You know what? I did. They were cool. It wasn't for me. We didn't quite match up. But, yeah, they're a good place. You know, yeah. That, yeah. Th that's, that's the gold right there. That's the employment branding gold. Is that, that you don't the tighter need, talent market candidate, you know, the, the candidates in the tight talent markets, even when you said no to them or they have decided to not apply to you, speak well of you. Mm -hmm. Yep. So it's not quite a NPS score where you're uh, you would say uh, having bought it, I would recommend it. But you have a rejection PS score where you're saying I didn't buy it and here's why, but I would recommend it to other places. Well, and and, and so what's the. You know, what's the what's the storyline? Right. Yeah. So every, everything's got a data story. Right. So um, when, when you think about, you know, what are the what are the brand stories that that that, a, that an employment branding leader wants to create? Well, one branding story might be we've made it very you know, I've worked with operations and we've made it very easy to have people understand where they are in the process with us. So part of our brand is you apply, it's a clean process, we get your feedback right away, whether or not you're moving forward within, say, a couple of days. Are we doing that 100% of the time, 95% of the time? You either are or you aren't, right? You either are or aren't doing that a lot of the time. If you mm -hmm. aren't, that's your storyline for your applicants. Oh, part of our storyline in our brand, in our, in our employment is people apply and we don't get back to them. That's part of our storyline right now. Right. OK, maybe you don't like that, but that's the reality. The data says so. And the next thing is the people that we interview. Do we do it quickly? Do we do it efficiently? And do we give them feedback? Even the ones we say no to. You either have that part as your part of your employment brand or you don't. And then you can talk all about what all your employees do and how they move up and how they you know, how, you know, the benefits that we offer them and the stories that they have and why things are great. But, you know, you can track all that with the data. And, and it's funny how we spend so much time, James, on this, 
on, you know, hey, I want to have a great storyline. I'm like, yeah, but your storyline doesn't your storyline needs to be reinforced when they apply. Say that one more time, that one last bit, because I think you're drawing a conclusion and I agree with, but I want to hear you put it together one more time. So you've got hierarchy. You've got, okay, hey, did they get back to you? Did they ghost you? You've got how well was the interview process and did you get feedback? And I think we want to, I want to come back to that feedback part because I think that's critical. I'd love to hear what your data is telling us about that. And then you can get to the fun stuff of this is our culture and this is our employee experience and this is why people love us. So, so try that, put that together one more time. So, so think about, so, so, we have these all we want you want to create these great data stories there are these great employment branding stories well the employment brand story is not just the people who work for you it's also about the people that you interview and the people and have the way that you assess talent so when when we think about when we think about you know a, a real good you know set of data stories for an employment brand right and ultimately you know we go onto websites and we see you know we see these um you know, we see people doing, you know, hey, here's, you know, here's, uh, here's Chris's story, right? Here's Mike's story. Here's, you know, Maria's story. And, and those are great, right? But you need to make sure that stories are not just about the culture and how people work. It's also about, hey, when we assess people, when we interview people, what does that look like? Why is that good? Why is that part of our culture, our assessment? And, and why does that make us successful? And then, oh, what's the what's the data story around the people who apply for us? How do we do that? Why do we do it that way? Is it do we attract diverse talent? Do we not attract diverse talent? You want all those stories to be part of the brand. And so when you look at the data and, and you say, okay, do what what stories do I can I talk about for applicants, for those who are evaluated, for those we interview, and then for those we hire? Is your applicant story Really, I apply and no one gets back to me most of the time. Mm-hmm. Is that your data? See if that's your data story. Because that's a bad mm-hmm. data story, which is a bad employment branding story. And by mm-hmm. the way, if you don't control that, it's part of your employment brand anyway. Because when you yeah. go out the glass door, you know what you see? Yeah. They never got back to me. Mm-hmm. It's part of your brand. You just did it, either chose to control it or not. Same mm-hmm. thing with interviews. The people we bring in, how quickly do we bring them in? Do we bring them with diversity? Do we bring them in, you know, do we bring a number in? Do we put them through a gauntlet? Or is it a pretty fair assessment process? What's that story? What would you put on your website to talk about it? How valid is that? And then what's the data backing it up? And you find out, hey, you know, for all of our engineering roles, about 80% of the engineering roles that we have, we interview four people. Well, guess what? That's part of your employment brand story. You will apply here. You're going to be one of four, three or four people we're going to do. We're going to go through an interview process with why? Because we look for options. We look for diversity. We are, Mm -hmm. we, we have hiring managers who are trained on interviewing and will listen to you. Please bring questions. Be ready. That's Mm a part of your brand. And you either control it or you don't. And when you don't, it appears out on Indeed.com in their comments saying, I went in for an interview and never heard back from the recruiter. Yeah. And then the CEO wonders, how come our glass door rating is 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 not great? You know, the SEC, you know, and the analysts are looking and we can't get stuff done. Well, because you didn't make it part. 
because it's not part of your dialogue, it will never be part of your data investigation. Yeah. That's Make sense? Amazing. Yeah, totally. So you brought up feedback the first time around. What is the data telling you that feedback is as crucial as all that? I brought up, I'm going to say that again. So you talked about how important it is that, um, you know, in the, in the phase two, you bring someone in for an interview, they say no, but you're getting feedback from the company about why you didn't get it. Is that kind of feedback crucial for this process? Is it crucial for employer brand? Is the data telling you that it's the sticking point to that? Or is that just something you're kind of seeing more holistically? You're seeing as part of the bigger question of what's the interview experience? I, I think, I think what I'm seeing first off is that, um, the, the, the feedback loops, um, are, are disconnected uh, once people are screened or once people are interviewed. Now, that's in the data, right? Mm -hmm. So in the data, maybe I'll see company, you know, so, so let's say a company does 3,500 hires a year, and then you ask the question, okay, how many people do you tend to interview for each hire? And they mm -hmm. say, we shoot for, for two or three or four. I'm like, mm -hmm. great. So fair to say that I should see 11,000 interviews scheduled in your ATS? And they're like, <laughs> well, in theory. And I'm like, yeah, here's the problem. I only see about 4,000. Hmm. So what's up with that? Right? So does that mean that you either didn't schedule them or you, didn't have, you don't have a paper trail? More importantly, did you ever reject them? Yeah. Right? And then how quickly did you do it? Or did you advance them, by the way? And I'm like, here's another thing, you know, you look at, you look at the data and you say, okay, you did your 3,500 hires. You know, what's kind of funny. They're like, what's kind of funny. I said, did you know that like for like 400 of your hires, you don't have an interview date or a screening date for any of them. And they're not internal transfers. Like they're like, um, I'm like, yeah, um, <laughs> I'm nothing like, oh, you're trying to be, you know, you, you talk about fairness, you talk about equity, you talk about wage parity, you talk about diversity and inclusion, and you talk how it's, it's fair game for everybody. But I got data here that says that 10% of your core jobs have one and dones. They're like, well, we know we interviewed more. I said, guess what? When I get called to do the audit by someone who's suing you, this is what I present in court. Oh, that's a gut punch. I'm like, so you've got to do the work. I know you did it. Just tick the box. <laughs> and then, well, and, and James, ahead. this, this become, and by the way, what a lift for a, for an employment branding leader to say that they mm -hmm. actually have data and proof that, Hey, yeah, it's really easy right now to go out there and say, rah, rah, rah. We do diversity mm -hmm. and inclusion and we do wage parity and we're fair. Prove it. What is it about recruiting that there's that sense of self-delusion? I mean, because you are effectively this amazing mirror. You get to stand in front of a company saying, you say you're all these things, but the data says this. One of the things I think I as an employer brander, but also as a candidate, you know, not in the not too recent past, is that everybody, every company says they get back to every candidate. They all say it. There's no one who says we don't do it. But then you say, hey, candidates, do you ever hear back from companies? And most of them will say, no, we don't generally. Where's the gap? Is it pure self-delusion? Is it the assumption that the ATS is doing all this work? Or what do you see there? Okay, so here's an example. So um, a large ERP HR system that will, go that will remain nameless had a glitch, 
right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and it was in any number of instances where for a period of time, all the HR thought that when, when a requisition was closed, everybody mm-hmm. got the, the letter that says, hey, the requisition is closed. Thanks, but no thanks. Right? And, and the thing is, is that, well, that letter wasn't going out. Mm-hmm. And so I look at the data and I say, you know, you're not dismissing people. And they're like, well, there's something broken in such and such. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, I get that. I guess what I would ask is, why is that your process? <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean? I said, okay, why do you wait 60 to 127 days, which is the data, <laughs> you know, to actually say to somebody who's applied, thanks so much, we filled the job. Like, that's yeah. the experience you created. I said, yeah. you realize you hardwired that process. So let's untether that and realize that that's not part of your brand. Yeah. Your brand says that you will not get back to people for 60 to 120 days after they apply. And when you do, it's with the no, I'm not taking you to the prom letter. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, that's not a win. <laughs> yeah. Especially since that's 99% of your talent market that you're telling that to. Right. I'm like, I'm like, you don't think these people talk? Of course they talk. Yeah. But you should, yeah. like, you could be that you could be the company that actually gets back to people. I said, you know, so we've set up like dashboards and alerts and all these kinds of things and all kinds of systems. Mm-hmm. But it's like at the end of every week, there's reports that go out to say, hey, recruiters, here are the people that have aged five days in every mm-hmm. single one of your recs that you haven't touched. And it's X yeah. percent of your workload. Ugh. Your manager is seeing that it's on a dashboard and here's where you are versus your peer group. Let them know what's up. Yeah. It's not that hard. I mean, the job is to say no. Right? So you might as well do it quickly and do it with, do it quickly, efficiently, legally, and with class. Yeah. Yeah. So that brings me to my last question. And I think this is the most important one, but I think this has been a fascinating conversation. You know, an employer brander, yes, employer branding has adopted data. We've had, you know, sometimes been forced to adopt data and become good at data, but I don't know that anybody says, I'm really good at data. I'm going to get into employer brand. It's, it's a secondary skill set at best. So in, in your world, what do you think is worth measuring? I think you've touched on a few things that are interesting. I think if, you, if you're looking and applying that data inside purely the TA space, yeah, it's gonna, if you change those things you've talked about, that's going to make a big impact on the employer brand. But what do you think is worth measuring? Well, I mean, you know. It's an I, open I, question, I, I know. No, I mean, so, so, so I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, measure, you know, have many measures that are set up mm-hmm. and then have only a handful of KPIs. So, okay. so, so realize that I have, I have that method. So it's like, there's seven things that we look at that are, that are insightful. And we'll say this, let's say that there's seven, but those seven things Maybe you're talking about diversity and inclusion. You're talking about brand familiarity. You're talking about um, you're talking about speed. You're talking about recruiter efficiency. These are these are insights that you want. 
right? Those mm-hmm. insights are probably made up of probably three, four, or five measures, right? Yeah. So what's, you know, you want to say, I want to know my recruiters are being efficient. Okay. Are they getting back to people quickly? Are we getting interviews done? You know, are we getting the right number of interviews that we want for the requisitions that they're assigned to? And are they doing that in a fair and balanced and diverse way? It's fair to say. And then are they doing that, you know, with, with, you know, within a decent amount of expense, right? Okay. Those are all fair questions. Okay. So in order for me to say, are my recruiters efficient? I need to actually answer probably four sub questions. Yeah. Right. So I think that we tend to kind of think, well, what are like, like, I love like the blog posts that go out. They're all like, mm-hmm. here are like 12 recruiting metrics that everybody needs to have. Wrong. Yeah, right. What, right? <laughs> it's, it's what's insightful to your business that helps them make decisions. Okay. Yeah. There's probably a handful of questions. Then behind that are three or four measures that are, you know, you have the time to fills and you've got the, you know, are people seeing our campaigns? Are they coming to our landing pages? Are we getting, you know, bottom of the funnel conversions? Okay, you can look at all those little things, mm-hmm. you know. And so for employment branding, you want to look at, you know, hey, is our, the bigger question is, am I increasing the familiarity of my brand in the spaces I want to increase the familiarity of? Mm-hmm. That's the big question. I, I, I hire a lot of people in engineering. We have trouble there. D- am I making it easier with my employment brand to get candidates for my managers? Yeah. And do, and, do, and by the way, does the talent potentially look better than the talent we previously had? That's probably the big question. Yeah, that's a great way to put that. Right. Then the next question is, well, how do I measure that? And it's like, well, I'm going to look at, are we, so there's activity. And so you'd say, well, I have to produce things that say, you know, hey, we have outreach. We're spending this amount of money here. We're doing these campaigns. You know, we're sending out these types of messages in the market. Okay. Are we getting response? Right. And so that's important. You have to look at, okay, you know, are we getting more attention? Right. But then we also, you know, you also probably want to go to the bottom of the funnel, too, and then say, all right, are we getting more action? Yeah. You know, so, you know, I'm not a big, huge fan. um, I'm not a big fan of employment branding professionals staying very focused on bottom of funnel metrics. I think those are important um, and you need to know them. But outcome metrics. you know, in like saying stuff like, well, this is how many people became applicants. I'm like, eh. I'm like, okay, I'm actually more interested in, you know, did, did the number of people who came to these landing pages to these, did, did we get more reaction from our campaigns? Are we getting more shares? Are we getting more familiarity? Right. And then we want to say, okay, that's supposed to bring us more applicants, right? And, you know, I mean, James, you're, you're, you're a whiz at this too. You and I both know that attribution yeah. is really hard. Impossible. Right. And so multivariate or multi, multi, you know, multivariate attribution or multi-touch attribution 
you know, people are trying to hack this and there's some good standards. And I worked with uh, the, the group at ATAP on sourcing and branding standards around measuring. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how if you really want to do attribution, you've got to use several formulas for it. Yeah. You know, so when a company calls me and says, hey, how are we doing on our sourcing and branding? I'm like, well, there's like nine ways to measure attribution. We're like, which one are you going to use? I'm like, all of them. And they're like, you can't be serious. I'm like, yes, you have to do all of them. Yeah. Because, because when I hit in, because if, if, you know, if you want to understand if your pay-per-click marketing is revealing results, realize that I've got to look at all the different models, but then I've got to figure out, and this is where I think, this is one of the things that I think your listeners will like is, you know, you've, you've got to not only, not only pay attention to how many clicks are coming to the websites or how many people are opening, you also want to understand the contribution that employment branding is making to who's been evaluated and who's been interviewed. Mm. So you can't, you can't assume that we know that not everyone's getting the job. Yeah. So the question is, did employment branding, did sourcing, did our referral programs, whatever it is, did it make the hiring manager's decisions easier and have more variety? Hmm. And so people say, well, we're not getting any hires from this employment brand. I'm like, you recognize that that brand accounts for 50% of the female applicants and interviews that you've had this past year. Yeah. yeah. But we didn't hire 50% of females. I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah. But that's somebody else's problem. That's somebody else's problem. But you know what the other problem is? Your sourcers don't get females. Yeah. They don't know how to source there. They don't get this. They don't get that. We have to pick it up over here. Yeah. Right. And so you've got to look at the other, the other attributes. I mean, and I say things like, you know, white, female, individuals with disabilities. These are all data. I mean, I appreciate people are people. But for me, these are data attributes that people ask about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're, they're being very finite about it. And I'm like, well, that's great. But you, you've got to then understand that hey our employment brand delivers this many interviews a year well how many hires does it does it have doesn't matter yeah because we're not going to hire someone on the basis of whether or not they found us because they went on a pa- they clicked a paper click app that's not part of their assessment mm-hmm. how they found us and why they came is not part of their qualifications for employment. Do you ever look for that? Do you ever have you ever looked at data that says if they look at a lot of our videos, they look at a lot of our content, they touched a lot of these different platforms before applying, are they more or less likely to get the job? Have you ever considered that? You you can look at those things. Unfortunately, the data in the aggregate isn't very telling. Yeah. Okay. Because, because and the reason why is because we tend not to do campaigns that hit all the applicants. That's fair. Right. We hit camp. So, so you can actually look at, well, hey, you know, we did a bunch of campaigns for engineers. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, did we hire, did our employment brand bring in a bunch of engineers and did we hire them? I'm like, I certainly hope so. <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, wait. You deliberately, ha- you deliberately designed a campaign because you knew that there was a shortage of engineers. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you made up videos and stories and all these things, and you marketed them to engineers. Yes. So you're asking me 
did they see it and did they get hired? And I'm, I'm, without me looking, my assumption is probably. Yeah. Because you marketed to them, but you didn't market to the frontline supervisors in your plants. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you ask me, well, our frontline supervisors in our plants seeing our videos, the short answer without me looking is probably not. Well, why is that? Because they're not going to that landing page. You didn't market them that way. None of the keywords that you've organized are for frontline supervision and manufacturing. They're all in engineering. Yeah. And so you can kind of appreciate that sometimes the questions we get require a, a significant amount of reframing. Yeah. Right. And that's and that's what that's what analytics is about. It's about asking sharp questions. But usually mm-hmm. the first step is reframing the initial question. Yeah. My uh, my back when I did a lot more analytics thinking, my rule of thumb was analytics should doesn't never give you an answer. It gives you better questions. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think. Yeah, I think that's uh, this is a great place to stop. Andrew, this is a, this has been an amazing conversation. I think there's some great points that people should be able to take away uh, to help think about. And honestly, I think if nothing else, I think it reframes the idea of when we think about analytics, we can go deeper. We can put pieces of data together. We can consider one against the other. It's not just about what does the dashboard tell us. It's about what do we really want to get out of our data? What do we really want to learn? And I think uh, this opened the door for some people. I would imagine it did. So. You know, the easiest way is, uh, you know, you go out to LinkedIn. Uh, I'm out there and you can do a follow on me. I tend to I tend to stay pretty tight with the invites. Um, but but it's amazing how many people, uh, you know, but I'm tight with people like you and others. If you ever want, if anybody ever wants to talk to me, you just go ahead. Give me an email at Andrew at AspenAnalytics.io. But the other thing to do is to find somebody that you know who knows me and ask. Say, hey, would you take a few minutes? No problem. If I if someone's in my LinkedIn network and they introduce someone to me, I always take the phone call. Hey, thanks so much, James. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission, that through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.